practicing as bhikkhus. We are ones who have seen the danger in samsara. The Buddha described the danger as the nature, seeing the nature of dukkha. the oppressive nature of samsara and bhikkhu is one who's had some intuition, some insight into that and is seeking a way out of samsara and a way to free themselves from dukkha, from this oppressiveness and danger Dukkha is that which is oppressive, meaning that which, that quality of having pressure put on one. In terms of our daily experience, we experience dukkha as Vedana, feeling. bodily feeling, dukkha vetana. We also have sukha vetana and adukam asukha vetana or upeka vetana. Mentally, it's domanasa, mental pain, mental suffering. But in the big picture, all of Vaitana, being the Vaitana Kanda, is seen as dukkha, oppressive. So Sukha Vaitana is just a decrease of Dukkha Vaitana, a reduction of pain. We, We get the sense of relief, so we say this is happiness. But for the Buddha, in his insight, wisdom, he could see that Sukhavetana is not really the end of dukkha. It's just uh, an experience we crave for and go for because it's this sense of less oppressive than the Dukkhavetana. There's more relief, therefore we say it's happiness. But it's not a permanent state, as we know any kind of Sukhavetana passes by and we return to Dukhavetana. And in itself, it's only a reduction of Dukhavetana. It's not completely freeing ourselves from the attachment or the clinging to the Vetana Khanda. And this we see in our meditation, the arising, passing away of dukkha vetana, sukha vetana as we sit meditation or walk meditation. So on a daily basis, this is how dukkha manifests.
dukkha as a noble truth, the noble truth of dukkha, suffering, is birth, old age, sickness, death, soka paridewa dukkha domana supayasas, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, despair. Being associated with the disliked is dukkha. Being separated from the liked is dukkha. In short, not attaining one's wishes is dukkha. And then in summary, the five khandhas, the upadana khandhas that we cling to, this body and mind are dukkha. This is the beginning of our practice, is gaining some insight into dukkha, comprehending dukkha as a noble truth. This is something to be comprehended, understood. As a characteristic of existence, one of the three universal characteristics, it applies to all conditioned things, physical and mental, all phenomena. Our dukkha, sabbe sankara dukkha, painful, oppressive, because they're also anicca, subject to disintegration, degeneration. Difficult to bear with. As a universal characteristic, that may apply to us or not. Say like, you could say a mountain is dukkha, because a mountain, however big or inspiring, it still gradually wears away over time through the process of weathering. But that might not affect us personally as dukkha vaitana or any experience of dukkha personally, but it's still dukkha. So this is the broadest description of dukkha. The dukkha lakana or the characteristic of dukkha in samsara, all conditioned things are dukkha. Where we're contemplating in practice most is then with dukkha satcha as a noble truth and then dukkha vaitana contemplating our own candor of dukkha and every day we can see this at work we can see say on a hot day like today the more we identify and cling to the Vaitana Kanda, then the more suffering we experience with heat, the more important it is for the mind, the more meaning we give to this feeling of heat. But when you're contemplating, you can see it's relative, can't you? Like, coolness is just less heat. Cold is still just less heat. In terms of nature, phenomena, 
heat and cold all refer to the fire element just how much is present or lacking say you're somebody who is outdoors all day on a day like today very hot and you're experiencing the heat all day you'll probably get used to it and although you're aware of the pressure, the impingement from the dukkha you also get used to it and maybe find it something you can bear with, cope with let's say somebody was in a very cool place an air-conditioned room or just in a cool shady spot then they walk out into the same heat for a short period of time already they feel dukkha because the body and the mind hasn't adjusted same heat but one person experiencing it over time is used to it so they don't feel the dukkha of it another coming out of a cool place immediately feels it as dukkha So it's relative, depends on our perception, depends on causes and conditions. We can see that just with something very simple like heat and cold, you, you can learn a lot about life and about our relationship to dukkha. Just from something like temperature same applies in the winter when it's very cold or you could say there's a lack of heat somebody who is maybe you could practice not turning your heater on in your kuti and you probably find after a while you get used to the coolness of an unheated kuti somebody else who's used to heating their kuti all the time whenever they feel a little bit of cold they heat their kuti when they walk into your kuti, the unheated kuti, they straight away feel dukkha. Whereas you might have got used to it and not feel any dukkha anymore. So we can learn like this, see how, say in respect to heat and cold, dukkha and sukha are relative. We also see that even if we do achieve Sukha is in get the exact temperature that we want for a while. We can't sustain that. Sooner or later we come across a change in temperature. So the sukha waiting and it disappears. This is the nature of dukkha and sukha as physical and mental experiences, somanasa, domanasa. As mental experiences, we can contemplate, say, we can attach to this body and mind as a self, we cling to the kendas, we have a sense of self-identity, then if we receive criticism, we have the self-view, then usually criticism brings up some mental pain, dolmanasa feeling of um, dislike don't like the words or the person 
saying the words bring up a sense of disappointment, frustration or even failure with the criticism. This is dominus, a mental, mental pain, something that's difficult to bear with, oppressive. A small amount of criticism may be easier to bear. A large amount of sustained criticism, very difficult to bear with. So it's dukkha. As in dominasa, vetana, mental pain, discomfort. If you experience a long period of sustained criticism, then maybe just somebody talking normally to you, not actually praising or being particularly kind to you, but just talking normally, already that feels good. There's a relief, well at least they're not criticizing me. So in that sense, Sukhaveta might arise, Sobhanasa, just the relief of uh, at least this pressure of all, crit all the criticism has subsided. In that way we can see our Dukkha Vetana turning into Sukha Vetana, or Dhammanasa into Somanasa. It's just a reduction in the Dukkha is enough to make us feel better, feel Sukha arise. Not yet the full Sukha of say praise or loving words, just less Dukkha as in less criticism or no criticism. It's almost like a sliding scale then of dukkha and sukha. It's just the oppressiveness of life is like this. We have heat, we have cold, we have praise, we have blame, success, failure. But when you step back and reflect on it with mindfulness and wisdom, you're starting to see that ultimately the whole lot is still dukkha because you're still trapped in the Vedana Kanda, and by its nature, its essence, it's a trap, it's a place where you're, if you're clinging to it, you're kind of stuck on this sliding scale of Sukha Dukkha, Somanasa Dhammanasa. This is why Ajahn Chah was very good at finding simple ways to point this out. So, like on a hot day, get everyone to sit in the sala and close the windows and put their sangatis on, wrap around as a blanket. They're already thinking it's hot and then he makes it even hotter to the point where not only, only the body is sweating and feeling terrible but the mind is becoming very agitated. But it's a study in dukkha, the extremity of dukkha. Then you go out of the sala and you take the sangati off and what was a hot day now seems quite bearable, having gone through the extreme heat of being inside the room with your robes all on, on, on. Taking the robe off, going outside seems normal, whereas before it's already seemed hot. One gets an insight again into this sliding scale of dukkha and sukha. Or in the winter, he'd have everyone take off their jiwans and sangatis, just sit meditation in their anxas as the cold wind blew in the morning meeting. 
then when you put your G1 on it seems quite warm even though previously maybe even with a G1 on it seemed cold and this is one way we can learn about dukkha and sukha and also just see the limiting nature of the khandhas in that way and see the whole picture to see that by its nature the the Vaitana Kanda is, is dukkha, the whole lot, even Sukha Vaitana is dukkha. It's just a temporary relief, lessening of the pressure, the oppressiveness of dukkha Vaitana. Even in Sukha Vaitana you can see it, when one goes to extremes of indulgence, it turns back into dukkha Vaitana. If you indulge in your favorite food or drink, becomes painful over time. You indulge in sleep, the comfort of that turns into pain as you lie on the bed longer and so on. The one who's practicing mindfulness and investigating in this way, then you start to see that dukkha, sukkha, they're all dukkha in the end, it's all dukkha. The candas are the subject of dukkha. And the problem is that we attach to the candas as a self. We have this belief, this what we call self-view, sakayaditi. And this is me, this is mine, I am this. So the Buddhist path is helping us to transcend this self-view, see through it, let go of it. Using just what we have, just using these candors, and the insight arises from within these candors. We can see the monastic training is helping with us with this. Already we are learning to let go of some of our extreme attachment to the candors when you come into the monastery and you give up to the routines and the practices of the monastery, the rules of training and the ways of practice. Already they're compelling us, helping us to let go of our extreme desires based on this sukhavetana, dukkhavetana. The routine makes us do things at times that we might not necessarily want to do. We might have to get up early in the morning, stay up late, eat at a certain time, work at a certain time. It's already eroding away the, the coarse attachment to the candors. And we're just learning to be one, one of the bhikkhus, one of the novices, one of the anagarikas. This is the opposite of the world where the sense of individuality is the way human beings, unenlightened, untrained human beings tend to try and distract themselves and get away from the reality of the candors by going in the opposite direction of insight, by developing this self-view and identity based on getting what you want. So it means always trying to get more sukhavetana and flee dukkhavetana get more power, more money, which gives us this ability to get away from dukkha waitana. In the monastery we go in the opposite way, we start to strip it down, right back to basics. So at first it's difficult, 
learning to train to follow a routine where you, you can't follow your desires and preferences and be so much of an individual. We still try, and people still have their individual habits, eccentricities, idiosyncrasies and so on, but it's within the bounds of the Vinaya and the Dhamma and the routine. The routine then, it found, it's a foundation for the practice of insight. We learn to follow the rules so that we're not following our coarsest attachments. We don't harm others because of our particular self-view and preferences. We learn to peacefully coexist with the other members of the community following the, the rules of training of a bhikkhu. We learn, say, right livelihood, not to bother people for things, be a burden on people, learn how to be content, develop fewness of wishes. We learn how to practice right speech, where we don't give in to, again, our preferences and our extreme emotions, whether it's lust leading to say flirtatious behavior, or greed behavior, or anger where it leads to more dissension, disharmony. And we practice right action, non-aggressive. And we develop a sense of responsibility for our actions, learning how to do the appropriate thing in different situations. All of this is helping to erode away the identification with the five candors in different ways. It's helping to bring up mindfulness, your mindfulness of your basic duties, basic, the routine that you follow helping to provide a, a foundation of peace of mind that you can use for developing mindfulness and insight to go a little bit deeper into your investigation of the candors. So it's a vehicle, the monastic training is a vehicle for deepening insight. Once one has learned this uh, skill, the skill of living in harmony with others, being responsible for one's actions, what one says, one does, practicing right livelihood, then one can develop the effort and the mindfulness required to really investigate a little bit deeper into our delusions, the cause of all our suffering. You can see how the basic delusion is that there is a sense of self. We have a sense of self, permanent sense of self, which we identify with. That's reflected in these candors. We refer to this body as a self, my body. And then the waitana that comes with all the sense contact that we have with this body, it's my pleasure, my pain, mental pleasure, mental pain, physical pleasure, physical pain. And we can see the whole 
nature of this is to cause us endless suffering, confusion, complexity, suffering. So the monastic routine is helping us to dissipate, let go of some of our preferences, to go against the tendency to follow every impulse of dukkha vedana or sukha vedana. We can't always indulge every desire that they to want to experience some sukha vedana or get away from dukkha vedana. We're learning to practice equanimity in mindfulness, just knowing these conditions as they are, knowing sukha vedana as it is, dukkha vedana as it is, but not really getting involved with it or chasing after it with craving and attachment. Every day we can see we have opportunities to do this. You might be hungry at a time when we can't eat and just notice what the feeling is like. The attachment to the body, the attachment to the feeling, the thought proliferation that comes from that. And the sense contacts and the conscious sense consciousness that is, is affected by that. You know, if you're hungry, you might start imagining food, thinking about food, looking for food, anything that reminds you of food, you know, sanya, memories of food, or seeing food labels, or going past the kitchen. You start to think about food because there's hunger. When you're practicing investigating the Dhamma more deeply, you're looking more just at the way to know what's what is the root cause of this attachment to the waitana, maybe dukkha waitana associated with an empty stomach? The digestive juices, juices are gurgling. And the sense of my waitana, my stomach, my body, my feeling, my thoughts, my memories. Now we attach to all of that if there's no mindfulness, no wisdom. As we keep practicing like this, every day we've got the chance to contemplate the same kinds of experiences. And we start to gain insight in this way, start to see a little bit more clearly how unreliable, undependable all these candors are. This is where we see that they actually are oppressive to us. They bring us all kinds of problems, create problems for us. They make us want to do things, go places, do things, get things, have things, experience things. If there's no mindfulness, no wisdom, then we're just a slave to that. Or endlessly suffering over and over again. But with insight we start to see the danger more clearly and the mind naturally wants to let go step back from its clinging to a place of wisdom insight. In one session of meditation you can just notice how feeling comes up, makes you want to change and you're trying to watch the breath 
and may be frustrated with that. So you notice the dukkha waitana in the body makes the mind restless so starts imagining or fantasizing other things. Or a little bit of dukkha waitana in the body, you want to change posture or just want to finish, get up, move away, do something else. Or a bit of sukha waitana arises, how we cling on to that get excited and try to hold on to that and make it last as long as possible. When we're practicing insight though, we're noticing the uh, changeability of just dukkha waitana, sukha waitana, just knowing it for what it is. Seeing the limitations, the oppressiveness of the dukkha kanda. All these candors have been deluding us for a long time. They make us think that there's something very permanent, very important source of happiness. Make us think that there's some kind of a self to cling on to. But under the power of insight, we keep, cannot help but keep coming to the conclusion and seeing that oh, that's not quite the way I thought it was. And yet we have that insight and then we get fooled again. Sometimes you meditate very clear. You can see everything is just an illusion, tricking tricking the mind. Finish the meditation, go away and back, back into old habits of thought, reacting to things, wanting things, desiring things. And back again until maybe the next time a bit of insight comes up. The candors keep reforming, conditioning this self-view, this belief that there is a self and these things belong to us. And so we keep getting caught into it, keep getting oppressed by the whole thing. The Buddha's simile for the the candors, one of them is that, that man who falls into the Ganges, is flowing down with the water, trying to grab at things. He grabs first just the ordinary grass on the bank, and of course, under his weight, immediately snaps off in his hand, pulls it at, off the, off the bank. He can't hold him. The Buddha said, "That's like the body." putting your faith, your belief in this body that it's going to be a source of happiness, something worth clinging to. Because it's just destined for old age, sickness, death, degeneration. It's no real abiding place for the mind. The body is just so prone to dukkha. Every day we have aches and pains, we get hungry, we get thirsty, fatigued. The body is so fragile, subject to injury, sickness, aging every day. It's it's no better than grass. just snaps off in your fingers immediately. And yet we still look on this body as mine and we cherish it and we want it to be good and give us the happiness that we're trying to find in it. But it can't, it just oppresses us, puts pressure on us the more we attach to it. 
Waitanae compared to what they call saw grass. It's that kind of grass, or kusa grass, saw grass. It's like it has a very sharp edge to the blade of grass. So you grab it with your hand, a man grabs it, and not only does it come away, but it cuts his hand, which brings him pain as it falls away. And Waitanae is like that. You keep attaching to the Waitana Kanda, you keep looking for the Sukha Waitana, and you keep getting cut as Dukkha Waitana arises. The Sukha Waitana cannot last, it keeps falling away into Dukkha Waitana. Sanya Kanda, memory, is like the reeds on the side of the river. And they look a bit more substantial than grass. They're thicker, more robust, and the man grabs for them. But they can't hold his weight, so they just snap off in the middle. Sanya is like that. You know, it seems something substantial. You can remember things. You can remember your past, all the labels and the information that we've gathered in this life. Seems like something very substantial seems to boost this sense of me. I know I am here and I've done things and been places and I know a lot. It's a real trickster. It'll just change on you. Maybe just get Alzheimer's and just forget everything. Or just the memories we have, they're constantly changing and trickiness. We get deluded, we think something is good, remember it as good and then it brings us pain think something is good and right, just right for me and it doesn't, it's not the way we think. We have our perceptions, our memories about other people, the world, constantly tricking us, just like the reed, grab it and then it snaps in our hand. The Sankara Kanda, all the thought proliferation, he compared to like the creepers growing on the side of the, the river. Again, it looked like something substantial might be able to use it like a rope to pull himself out of the river, but they're slippery. Not only do the creepers themselves come away as he grabs them, but they, his, his hands slip down them anyway. Thought proliferation is like that, slippery all over the place. One day, how many substantial thoughts do you have it's just breaking up into different dispersing into different thought moments different thoughts nothing really substantial to cling on to or hold on to very slippery change around all the time wholesome then unwholesome wise and then foolish very unreliable very slippery the final simile was for consciousness itself. Is he sees a bush? Think, oh, the bush is something solid. If I grab the bush, that surely will hold my weight. But he just grabs the bush, and the whole bush comes away from the bank. Consciousness is like that. It seems so solid because it's so continuous. We, since we were born, we've been seeing, hearing, tasting, smelling, touching, thinking seems like consciousness is always there it's what really binds us to the world because we that's how we know the world so 
that seems like something very real, very solid. And yet it's constantly arising, passing away. Very insubstantial. And this is the kind of insight that comes contemplating these candors. We start to realize they're actually, a, it's a great risk to always identify with the candors because we're always going to feel oppressed, become disappointed. So the arising of wisdom is always accompanied by a sense of seeing the risk, the danger in attachment and clinging. And it's that danger that spurs us on to practice more. We become even more urgent in the practice because we can see this sense of always clinging and returning to the clinging to the candles. It just keeps going on. And if we are careless, complacent, well, we'll just keep clinging on. Even when we've had some insight, we can just return back to clinging, seeking more, sukhavetana, building up, identifying more with our thoughts, our memories, sense of self. So in the progress of insight, the sense of danger, seeing the danger of clinging and attachment becomes very profound. Almost depressing, but the basis in faith and the energy in the practice and the pity and sukha of developing insight helps to combat the depression and one doesn't just become depressed and give up. One can see, well, that's just creating more dukkha vetana, getting depressed. Rather, one becomes urgent in one's quest to keep practicing, keep investigating more clearly, developing this insight even stronger, settling, settling the mind's doubts about anything. So the insight remains all the time, not wanting to grasp at anything, physical, mental phenomena, not wanting to take anything as a self, in the definition of the Sodapana, the Buddha said it doesn't take these candas as a self, doesn't believe that, doesn't have that belief. And there's no doubt about that anymore. It's very, very clear in the mind. These are all part of samsara. They're conditions in samsara that just oppress the heart. If the heart clings to the candas, it'll just be oppressed, pressured all the time even when things are going very, very well in worldly terms. One's successful at getting everything that one wants. Well, the wise person knows this won't last. It's, it's another condition. So insight makes one diligent in the practice, not lazy. It's one way of looking at your own laziness, like when laziness comes up, one becomes indulgent, careless, can't be bothered. You can just remind yourself it's a sign and there's no insight at the moment. I'm believing in the, the thought, the mood, the feeling, the, the candors as a whole. I'm just believing in it all, taking it all as a self here. Keep developing the insight and this will help to get you through laziness.
and then patience. Patience is being able to bear with that which is difficult to bear with and bear with dukkha. In order to comprehend dukkha, one has also to be able to bear with it long enough to comprehend it. Again, this is the opposite of the world, especially nowadays. It's not fashionable to bear with dukkha. Whenever dukkha arises, one wants to get rid of it straight away. If it's to do with people, one wants to get rid of those people from one's life. If it's conditions, if it's weather, you just want to get into a hot, a hot room on a cold day or in a cool room on a hot day. If it's the dukkha of the body, you then want to get quick medical treatment to get rid of it and so on. Nobody wants to be with dukkha, but to be patient with dukkha, to be able to bear with that which is difficult to bear with, to be able to be patient with that which is oppressive gives the mind time to observe dukkha as a noble truth, comprehend it as dukkha, say, oh, this is dukkha. That insight spurs one on to practice rather than overwhelming one and making one feel depressed. Just reinforces the insight, you know, oh, that's what the Buddha said, that's true. It's dukkha, the dukkha is like this. One understands dukkha as dukkha and is not in any doubt about it. Even sukhavetana, the pleasant things, one knows this is dukkha, doesn't have any doubt. This is what brings the mind back to this place in the middle, not delighting in, not averse to the world, just knowing it as it is, knowing the candors as they are. Both the insight and having the patience to do that, they support the arising of the energy and the investigation, development of the various qualities one needs to, to realize this. So in the practice, not to be too afraid of dukkha. Sometimes we have to be with dukkha. Look at it, know it, understand it. Know the heat on a hot day, know the cold on a cold day. Know the tiredness of the body, the pain of the body. Know the difficulties of living in the world, the praise and the blame, the gain, the loss, the success, the failure. One can use all of this to help comprehend dukkha and see the, the dukkha of these candors reduce one's attachment, clinging to them. So I'll leave this with you for your reflection tonight. <laughs>